1: influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
2: Welcome to Out of Office, the podcast about life and leadership. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. Every week, I bring you a conversation with the newsmaker speaking at a Bloomberg Live Summit. But we record this chat offstage, so it's usually freewheeling and informal. And we talk about things they don't get asked about on stage or in their offices. Their childhood, aspirations, mentors, first jobs, high points, setbacks, downtime, family, and love. Because these influences make them who they are and define how they lead. This week...
3: Well, we're a typical American family. I'm, I'm white, my husband's black, and our kids are brown.
2: Meet Ted Osius, a career diplomat. He's now a senior executive at Google, and his life story is anything but typical. He's served as an ambassador for his country, and over the years, he's also become one for the gay community. He joined us at the Bloomberg Equality Summit in Mumbai to talk about Bridging the Digital Divide. And after that, he sat down for a chat with my colleague, Mark Dawson, where he opened up about his personal life.
3: So, you know, in the end, I thought uh, being able to face my children and say, your papa did the right thing was more important to me than to stay in government. And
4: so I left.
2: Here's Ted with Mark out of office.
4: Hi there. One of the many ways we prepare for our podcasts is by looking for something interesting our guest has said in the past. While prepping for this interview, I came across something he said during a TED Talk back in 2016.
3: Let me start with a very simple idea. That idea is that in life, it's love and purpose that matter.
4: So I began with that and asked TED, Love of what, and where's the purpose?
3: Well, I think love very often is of family. I have, I have two kids, a four-year-old and a five-year-old, and a wonderful husband, uh, so I feel very lucky in love. Purpose is defined differently by different people, and uh, for me, for a long time, it was, it was diplomacy. I loved being a diplomat. Uh, I was a diplomat for the U.S. State Department for Twenty-eight and a half years culminated in a wonderful three-year tour as ambassador to Vietnam, uh, which at its high point had a three-day visit from President Barack Obama, and we were able to accomplish a lot. It was—I uh, felt that my life had a, a pretty clear purpose at that time.
4: During his time as U.S. ambassador to Vietnam, Ted was openly gay in a country with no high-profile gay role models. Ted. And his husband, Clayton, quickly became an inspiration to many. So one, one quote we had from a, a v- Vietnamese a gay when he said, with regards to yourself and your partner, he, he said, you are the full package. They are married, they have a family, they are successful, they are our role models. How, how does that make you feel?
3: I appreciate that. That makes me feel proud. The, the, uh, we didn't know exactly how we'd be received in Vietnam. Um, but here I was, here we were arriving as ambassador, ambassador, spouse. And then it turns out, Ambassador's mother and Ambassador's son. So we were a three generation family when we arrived. And Vietnamese say, uh, ba three generations. And I think that, was, that helped actually, that helped people connect with us. They could see something that reflected their own lives in our family. But we were clearly not a traditional family. What was very cool to me, because we tried to show more than tell uh, what our lives were like and what our values were. We would have people come up to us, a young man was at the house one time and took a picture with Clayton and me and then went home to his very, very remote province and showed the picture to his dad and said, American ambassador is gay and here's his husband. And his dad said, oh no, that's not possible. I just don't believe it. There's no, no way that would happen. And then he was able to show him other pictures and show him what had been written in the, in the papers about us. And it gradually dawned on his father that that was possible, that you could be gay and have a family and have a job. And that's how he came out to his dad. So when that happened, Clayton and I were very proud because we felt we felt it was, it's not, it was not our job to, to change the course of uh, equality for gay people in Vietnam. But if we could show something about what was possible, then maybe we could encourage a few people.
4: The global fight for gay rights and equality has come a long way in recent years. The legalization of same-sex marriage in the US is the biggest example. But Ted started his career in the 80s, and things were a lot different back then.
3: So when I joined the Foreign Service in the 1980s, if you were known to be gay, the diplomatic service would basically drum you out. And I had colleagues who, uh, who were visited, whose parents were visited uh, at their homes. In fact, one guy in a trench coat goes to the mother of a friend of mine and said, "'Did you know your son is gay?' And she said, "'You should be ashamed of yourself. "'Get out of my house, of course I do.'" So uh, we were losing colleagues. People were being, were being drummed out and people just wanted to do their jobs. And so we created a group called Gays and Lesbians in Foreign Affairs Agencies, which still exists and is still very powerful.
0: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds.
4: In 2015, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg visited Vietnam. For Ted, it turned out to be a momentous trip, professionally and personally.
3: Well, it was wonderful. We, When I knew she was coming to Vietnam, a, a, friend, a friend of mine said, why don't you write to her and ask if she would renew your vows? And I said, well, that would be a lot of chutzpah. But I did. I wrote to her, and she wrote back and said, of course, I'd be happy to. And she asked us to write the vows. We did, we used the same vows we'd used 10 years before. And we thought this would be sort of a political act, that she would do this, we might get some coverage, it might encourage some Vietnamese people. And it turned out to be a very significant personal act too, because uh, when we had gotten married 10 years before, it was just the two of us. Now, at that point, the time of our, uh, of our renewal of our vows, we had two small kids. And they depend on us. And they depend on us for everything. And so I think the marriage means even more when you have two small people uh, completely dependent on you.
4: And talking about your children, how's raising them as a, a quite high profile couple in, in Vietnam?
3: Well, they were kind of a hit whenever we went anywhere. They're, they're I'm biased, but they're really cute. Uh, they're not always well behaved.
4: Dads all over the world share advice from changing nappies. To how to get their kids to sleep but not every dad gets advice from the president of the united states advice that was brought on by a rather embarrassing temper tantrum we, we went to
3: to see uh the president he had said when we was riding in to from the airport to his hotel he he'd asked well how about your family and i said well we're a typical american family i'm i'm white my husband's black and our kids are brown and he said oh well Sounds like a Benetton ad. I want to meet your family. so we brought the kids in the moment the president walked out our two year old son threw himself on the floor, had an enormous you know squall of a temper tantrum, shrieking, yelling, and i kind of wanted to say, oh, that's not my son, but i didn't uh, The president took a, a little box of candy and rattled it and right in front of my son and his tears dried up, he smiled, climbed up on in my arms and Afterwards, I asked, I said, Mr. President, what did you do to, to, to our children? What did you do that turned them around? He said, bah, didn't you know I'm the baby whisperer. And later on, he, he uh, was giving me kind of father to father advice about, you know, he said, there's this sweet spot between six and 12. Before that, it's pretty tough because it's so mechanical, so hands on. After that, it gets really tough, too. But, but I thought this is pretty cool to get uh, that kind of advice from from the President of the United States.
4: After President Obama left office in 2016, Donald Trump took over. Ted thought this would mean the end of his long diplomatic career. But to his surprise, he was asked to stay. He did, but this would flip his world upside down.
3: Well, I thought I would have to resign when he became president. I wrote a, a letter of resignation, sent it in, and it was not accepted. I was asked to stay. And then my team asked me to stay. They said, you think it was tough before, there are going to be challenges now, we need your leadership. So I stayed for, for 10 months. And it was difficult. Uh, one of the first things I had to do was get out and explain why we'd withdrawn from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And since I personally didn't think that was a, a good idea or, or in the United States' interest, uh, that was difficult. And then I had to, we had to deal with uh, the withdrawal from the Paris Accords and the uh, agreement with Iran, and it got more and more, I found it got more and more difficult. And you have to be clear, I think, in public service about what ethical lines you won't cross. So when it came to the point that I was asked to facilitate the departure from Vietnam of, or from the United States to Vietnam of uh, people of Vietnamese origin who fought side-by-side side with our soldiers in the war, or sometimes the children of our soldiers, I thought, well, that is really un-American. I can't do that. And so I fought from inside to try to change that policy, uh, and I failed. And I finally decided I just can't do this, and then look at my children in the face. So, you know, in the end, I thought uh, being able to face my children and say, your papa did the right thing was more important to me than to stay in government.
4: And so I left. After leaving the service, Ted decided to stay in Vietnam, an unusual choice compared to the more traditional expat hubs of Hong Kong and Singapore.
3: Well, I loved the country. Uh, My kids were young, they still are. And we uh, had a good offer to go to Ho Chi Minh City. I did what ambassadors generally do. I did some teaching and some consulting. And then kind of out of the blue, I got a call from Google. And first, I was quite surprised. I thought, Google? You know, that's a tech company. I don't know that much about tech. But it turns out they weren't interested in my tech knowledge. They were much more interested in my knowledge of Asia and uh, my experiences in Asia.
4: After talking about Ted's diplomatic career, we moved on to his current role at Google. I remember my visit to the Google Singapore office as a fairly youthful 29-year-old a few years ago. When I was there, I noticed that nearly all the Google employees were barely into their 20s. No disrespect to Ted, but he's a little bit older than I am. So I asked him about the age gap.
3: Well, two things. One, I'm usually the oldest person in the room. I don't really mind that. People are are, uh, respectful and kind and collegial, it works out pretty well. But I worry a little bit about the young people for whom Google is the only job, because they may think that baristas and free food and a gym in the office is typical that is not the case in every company google makes a big effort to look after its employees and make sure that well-being uh, concerns are addressed very focused on diversity equity and inclusion and that isn't the case everywhere so i hope that young people don't come in get totally spoiled and then you know for any other job they're they're going to be a mess because it's it's uh, It's a unique place to work. The culture is one I admire and really, really like.
4: Earlier, Ted shared the touching story of how a Vietnamese man had used a photo of Ted and his husband to come out to his own dad. Flipping that around, I asked Ted if he had any role models or inspirations growing up.
3: Oh, I did. I mean, I guess it would start with uh, my parents, uh, who were always, you know, no matter what, were always proud and uh, showed their love. and. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, in my career, one mentor particularly stands out. He was a four-time chief of mission. I ended up working for him three different times. But I, I mentioned I served at the Vatican. He, he took me on my, one of my first days, brand new, wet behind the ears diplomat. He t- took me to see the top diplomat at the Vatican, a guy named Claudio Celli. And uh, after the meeting, we were riding back in the car, and he said, okay, Ted, I'd taken really careful notes, and he said, okay, Ted, what was important about that meeting? And I said, oh, well, it had to have been the discussion about human rights. No, Ted, what was really important about that meeting? Uh, well, then it had to have been the discussion we had about religious freedom. Mm. And then he shook his head again, and I, I, was, you know, I was befuddled. Did I, did I miss something really important when I was taking all those notes? He said, no, Ted, you met Claudio Celli. It was about the relationship, and that lesson, that diplomacy is about relationships above all else, was a really key lesson. And I feel like that's the way diplomacy works when it's at its best, is you learn from good mentors, you mentor other people, uh, and uh, people learn how to carry out a, a difficult task.
2: That was Mark Dawson's conversation with Google's Ted Osius. I hope you enjoyed it. And remember, you can find more episodes of Out of Office on the Bloomberg Terminal or on our website, Bloomberg.com. And we're also on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify and on Twitter. And our handle is simply at podcasts. We'd love it if you could take a minute to rate and review our show. So please do that if you can. And I do hope you'll join us again for more candid, informal conversations with newsmakers newsmakers. Out of office. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. I'm Malika Kapoor. You can find me at this is Malika on Twitter. Thank you for listening.